Now, I'm not sure if you realise this, but my memory is absolutely terrible. How bad is it, you ask? How bad is what? <laughs> but, but honestly, honestly, not only is my short-term memory horrible, uh, so is my, my short-term memory. <laughs> uh, truth is, truth is, if my memory were any worse, I could plan my own surprise parties. <laughs> but I'd probably forget to turn up. I mean, I mean, I'm so bad at remembering things, even my memory foam mattress forgets. <clears throat> and although I joke about just how bad my memory is, it has gotten me into quite a bit of strife over the years. I like the time I took Beth out on our first date. Forgot to get some money out from the bank beforehand. She ended up having to pay. At least she knew what she was getting herself in for. <laughs> and then there was the time I forgot to renew my driver's licence. Drove around unlicensed for three months. <clears throat> Oops. And uh, then there's my most embarrassing problem of forgetting names and uh, which faces go with which names. You know you do really all look alike, don't you? <laughs> Presbyterians, I mean. And so over the years, I've become quite reliant on writing things down and having things in my calendar and uh, having sticking post-it notes up around my home and uh, introducing name labels here at church. I notice there aren't any on you today. It's wonderful. <laughs> and uh, most importantly, most importantly, having a wife who gives me regular prompts throughout the day, uh, kind of on the hour, every hour. Yeah, I've found that without these reminders... I can get into all sorts of trouble. Well, today is Good Friday, a day in which we remember, a day that's been traditionally set aside to remember the death of Jesus Christ, which, if you don't know much about Jesus, must seem like a rather strange thing. I mean, who sets out to remember somebody's death? A birthday or a wedding? Yeah, that's understandable. But remembering a death seems a bit strange, doesn't it? A bit morbid even. So why do we specifically set out to remember Jesus' death on Good Friday? Fact is, uh, he died 2,000 years ago. Uh, there have been lots of people who have died since he did, and yet we don't get a public holiday to remember their deaths. So why do we go to all this effort to remember Jesus' death? What makes it so special? Well, in the Bible, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, we see Jesus interpreting his own impending death for us. We see what Jesus himself thinks is significant and memorable about his death. And although the whole of John chapter 3 is chock full of great stuff that we could look at together, there's just one sentence that I want us to zero in on this morning. It was something Jesus said to a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, that is, a Jewish religious leader. 
And as you may well know, the religious leaders at that time couldn't stand Jesus. After all, he had become more popular than they were, and they were jealous of him. And Jesus had been rocking the Pharisees' boat, so to speak, telling them that their Pharisaic righteousness would never get them into the kingdom of God. That no matter how religious they were, no matter how zealous they were at trying to keep God's rules, they could never measure up to God's standards. And so the religious leaders couldn't stand Jesus. But Nicodemus was intrigued by him. From the things that Jesus had said and done, Nicodemus knew that, that, that he was no ordinary man, that he had to be from God. And not surprisingly then, Nicodemus wanted to know more about Jesus. And so one night, under the cloak of darkness, so that his colleagues wouldn't see him, Nicodemus went to visit Jesus. And it was whilst they were chatting that Jesus said the words that I want us to think about this morning. And uh, I've printed those words out for you on the inside of your order of service. And they'll also come up on the screen behind me. Now, this is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. See, that's how Jesus interpreted his impending death. Oh, yeah, it's also clear now, isn't it? <laughs> Snake in the desert, son of man, lifted up, belief in him, eternal life, crystal clear. Look, I know that at first glance this sentence seems a bit obscure. But actually, you know, it, it's not as complicated as you might think. All we need to do to, to unlock the meaning is understand the historical event to which Jesus is referring here. Because you see, Jesus is getting Nicodemus to remember another story in the Bible. A story that took place 1,500 years earlier, in the days of Moses. You may remember that the Jewish people, the Israelites, had been slaves in Egypt for four centuries living under terrible oppression until God sent them a rescuer, Moses, to bring them out of Egypt. Uh, perhaps you all, you've also heard of the way God opened up the Red Sea for the, the Israelites and brought them through on dry ground, a wall of water on their left and another on their right. And then once they had passed through, the way God brought the water crashing back down, uh, drowning the Egyptian army as they chased after the Israelites. So in that mighty act, God freed the Israelites and began to lead them through the desert to the land he had promised to give them, uh, the promised land of Canaan, a wonderful place, a place of, uh, of blessings in abundance. But sadly, not long after God rescues them from Egypt, the Israelites forget how kind he's been to them. And they start to complain against God. We're hungry, they say. Oh, we're thirsty. Oh, we don't like the food out here in the desert. Our lives were better off in Egypt, they say. Yeah, right, as if. 
Here, read with me the account of this story, which comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 21. And again, it's printed out in your order of service, and it'll be on the screen behind me too. Uh, We read, we read, they, that is the Israelites, uh, they travelled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Well, talk about ingrates. These people had been in brutal slavery back in Egypt. And now they're on their way to the promised land. And God had been providing miraculously for them along the way. But here they're grumbling and moaning and blaming God. Why? Because life is harder than they'd expected. And God isn't fixing the situation the way they want him to. See, the root problem here is that these Israelites don't really want to serve and obey God. What they really want is for God to serve and obey them. Uh, to play by their rules, to do things their way. See, ultimately, they don't want God to rule over them. Because ultimately, they're a bunch of rebels. But the truth is, God doesn't take too kindly to rebels. And so there in the desert, God judges the Israelites. He sends into their camp snakes. Are snakes that, that bite the people with a deadly venom. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like snakes. Horrible things. They have fangs and, and scales and, and no legs. It's just not natural. <laughs> Beady little eyes. Horrible things. You know, for me, this story is the kind of stuff my nightmares are made of. Out in the middle of nowhere, you're surrounded by slithering, uh, venomous, biting snakes. But for the Israelites, the worst part of their living nightmare is the realisation that the snakes have come on account of their rebellion. And so when they come to their senses and remember that that God is God and and they are not, they repent and confess their sin and ask for God to take the snakes away. Here, read with me from verse 6. Verse 6. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. See, the people recognise their sin, their rebellion. And they cry out to God for mercy. God hears their cries and kindly gives them a way to be saved. God tells Moses to make a bronze snake and then fix it to a pole so that it can be lifted 
and, and seen by all the people. God tells Moses that now, if, if anyone is bitten by a snake, all they need do is look at the bronze snake up on the pole and they will live. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, whenever someone is bitten, they look at the bronze snake and they are healed. Here, read with me from verse 8. Verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Well, wow, hey. What an amazing story. Quite extraordinary stuff, isn't it? But let me be clear about this. I'm quite sure that we shouldn't understand this story as some kind of biblical first aid lesson in the treatment of snake bites. Okay? If you're out bushwalking this weekend, you get bitten by an eastern brown snake. I don't suggest that you go making yourself a, a bronze version of the thing and putting it up on a pole and staring at it. Okay, that's not going to have a happy ending. Now, I don't think that that's the point of this story. Rather, it's a one-off miracle, isn't it? A miraculous story of God's saving these people from the judgment that has come on them because of their rebellion. A story of God's healing and forgiveness as these people humbly trust his promise and look at the bronze snake up in the pole. So now, uh, now that we've understood this story, we can jump forward again 1,500 years and return to the nighttime conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said? Oh, I'm sure it'll make much more sense to us now. He said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man, and that, that's just Jesus' way of referring to himself, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's taking that strange story from the days of Moses and applying it to himself with a few twists he says that he himself must be lifted up lifted up on a cross of course lifted up to die and why must this happen that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life see in the desert the Israelites trusted God, looked at the bronze snake and were given life. Well, at least for a while. I mean, they did all eventually go on to die, as we all will. But what Jesus is saying here is that he's going to be lifted up to give people eternal life. That is, life beyond the grave. Life in God's kingdom. In the kingdom of heaven, the ultimate promised land, life with God forever, 
without death or, or sadness or pain. Life in all its fullness. Oh, can you imagine it? He says he must die to give us eternal life. Because you see, as it stands, we're all destined for eternal death. See, friends, the Bible tells us that just like those Israelites in the desert, we're all sinners. Every one of us. We're all rebels against God in the things that we think and say and do. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we'll admit that in our heart of hearts, we don't really want God being the one calling the shots in our lives. Instead, what we really want is life on our terms, not his. And we demonstrate that rebellion in so many ways. Uh, Maybe it is as we grumble about the life God's given us. Or when we forget to thank him for for his kindness to us. Or, Or when we fail to love and serve him as we should. Just live for ourselves. But whatever it is, each one of us has demonstrated that we are sinners. Rebels against God. Yet as we've seen today, God doesn't take too kindly to rebels. And the Bible tells us that God's full judgment on rebellion is death. Now, not just physical death, but eternal spiritual death. I'm talking about hell. You see, friends, sin is like a snake's venom that's pumping through our veins from the time we're born. Uh, Pumping through our veins, even as I speak, slowly killing us all. A venom that will ultimately put us all in the grave. And worse than that, take us to hell. But here's the wonderful news that we've got to hear today. In his love and grace, God has sent Jesus as the one and only miracle cure for our condition. Jesus, the Son of God, the one person who never sinned. Jesus, the only truly innocent one, was lifted up on a cross as part of God's great rescue plan. There on the cross, Jesus died for us, dying in the place of us sinners, going through hell for us. So that we would never have to. And giving us the eternal life we could never gain for ourselves. Oh, that's the wonderful, wonderful news. So what must we now do? How should we respond to this wonderful news? Well, let's take another look at the verse. See see there it says... The Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him 
may have eternal life. So what, what, what do we need to do? We need to believe in him. That is, rely on him to save us. Like the Israelites in the desert, we need to recognize our rebellion and humbly confess it to God and ask him to save us. And then we need to look to Jesus. With the eyes of faith, we need to look to Jesus, accepting him as the only cure for sin and the judgment it brings. We need to believe in him. Just like Nicodemus decided to do. You know this man, uh, Nicodemus, just like all his colleagues, had been trusting in his own good works to make himself right with God. But this conversation with Jesus changed everything. Three years after that secret nighttime meeting, Nicodemus saw Jesus again. We know this because we heard about it in our second Bible reading this morning, and maybe you noticed. But this time, Nicodemus saw Jesus as he stood at the foot of the cross with Jesus' dead body hanging before him. Oh, what must have gone through Nicodemus's head as he stood there looking up? The snake, the pole, Jesus' words about the Son of Man being lifted up. It all must have flashed through his mind as all the pieces fit together at last. Like those desperate Israelites who lifted their eyes to the snake And knew they were healed. I can't help but imagine Nicodemus lifting his eyes to the crucified Jesus in faith. And knowing that he was now eternally forgiven. Because we're told it was now Nicodemus. Along with another converted Pharisee. Who lovingly took Jesus' body down from the cross and then placed it in the tomb. No longer keeping his allegiance to Jesus hidden in the dark. Now ready to be counted as a follower of the one who had rescued him and given him eternal life by sacrificing his own. And so this is Good Friday, a day in which we remember the death of Jesus Christ. Why do we go to such efforts to remember his death? What makes it so special? Well, now you know, don't you? It is the only way in which we can find forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And friend, when you put it like that, you realise, don't you, 
that it is way too important a thing to remember just once a year. Oh no, this is something we need to live remembering. Every day, looking to Jesus and trusting in him. Friends, it is one thing to forget money on a first date or to forget to renew your driver's licence or or to forget a few names. But there would be nothing quite as terrible as forgetting what Jesus has done for us on the cross or failing to respond to it. And that's why, friend, I want to finish this talk this morning by offering you two invitations to respond to what you've just heard. Firstly, I want to invite you to join us here at church each Sunday. Especially this this coming Sunday when we hear the the marvellous news that, that Jesus didn't stay dead but rose to life. Because you see... We meet here each Sunday, just like we have today on this Friday, Good Friday. We meet here each Sunday to remind each other again and again of what Jesus did in dying for us. And then responding together as as a community of believers by praying and, and singing and generally encouraging each other to keep trusting Jesus. You know, I really... I really love this church. I hope you will too. I love the people here. I can't always remember their names. (laughs) But I love them. And I want to invite you to join us too. Please come. And secondly, I want to invite you to do something that maybe you've never done before or maybe you realise that it's time to do again. And that is to to pray to God, uh, confessing your sin, saying you're sorry and accepting the forgiveness that God freely offers you through the death of Jesus on the cross. Does that sound like an invitation that you want to take up this morning? We'll say then, friend, I encourage you now to lift your eyes to Jesus uh, in faith as you pray this simple prayer in your heart along with me. Please pray. Well, dear God, I confess that I have been living according to my own rules. Sorry for my rebellion. Please forgive me. And through Jesus' death on the cross, please take away my judgment. Please give me eternal life. And help me now to live each day trusting in Jesus and living for him. Amen.